up, what up, what up? Welcome to Security Squawk Podcast, episode 12. I'm Brian Horning from Exact IT Solutions. And over to my left, probably your mm-hmm. right, is Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers IT. I'm in Philly. Andre's in Miami. We both run uh, MSPs, managed service providers, IT companies, if you never heard that term before, uh, cybersecurity companies. And we're here to run a podcast that talks about the business side of cybersecurity, right? We're not a tech podcast. Um, We love it if you're a tech and you listen to us. We thank you very much. But this is really for business owners and IT managers and, and the guys who need to make the decisions around this stuff. And we hope to give them some insight around why they are making these decisions or what goes into these decisions so they can make smarter decisions and be smarter about cybersecurity. So I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Remember, Andre and I do not charge a fee for our podcast. And uh, the only thing that we ask is if you could please share out our podcast to your friends and family. It helps us out greatly. It also helps more people that aren't your friends and family see our podcast because like every time you share it, it's like a vote in the popularity contest on the internet. And if you give us a vote, then it's more likely it's somebody who you don't know or who doesn't know our podcast finds us. And that's kind of how the internet works. So if you help us out, you're really helping the rest of the world out so they can hear our message. So. Good afternoon, Mr. Andre. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. How's the weather? It's um, we're in the 70s, and uh, but it's it's cool. Oh, and yeah, so it's it's very nice. So we're getting we're actually getting warm here. It's it's uh, we're getting, a, we're getting a, a couple days in in the in the 60s, like uh, mid 60s, only to go right back to the 30s in like a day or two here. So. Um, this is the time of year where us Northeasterners, uh, we get teased with the warm weather and then it goes right back to winter. (laughs) So, so, all right, my friend. So today we're going to take a different tact with our, uh, with our podcast. And we're actually coming to you today with a topic that if you listened to us last week, we did discuss this on the podcast that we would talk about this this week. Um, and that is the top questions that if you are a business owner that you should be asking before you hire somebody to work in your business and be responsible for your IT. Now, in most businesses that I know of, there's basically two different ways that you can go about this. Um, Andre, what, what's one way that, that businesses can solve the challenge of running IT and managing IT in their business? So depending on their size, they can either um, hire in-house or they can outsource it. Right. So um, depending on their size is a good word there because I've run into a lot of companies who are way way, way too small to be even considering running their own, you know, IT department, right? Mm -hmm. In your experience, and I have my opinion on this, but in your experience, what 
what do you what size company do you see is kind of like the break point for where somebody should look at hiring their own employees versus looking at an outside company? Yeah, so there's there's a number I have in, in my mind, but before I answer that, the, the problem I see with when you do hire an in-house employee is that a lot of times that employee is now stuck in a bubble. He knows what he knows, he's not learning, he, he may not, because in IT, there's so many things. There's email administrators, SharePoint administrators. There's just so many different um, knowledge that you can have, cybersecurity, et cetera. So to answer your question, I'm going to go for 75 or more. But again, if you have one guy for 75 people, it's you, you just increase your risk as well, because it's only one guy that knows the systems and things like that. So that's kind of a rabbit hole question, but to answer your question straightforward, I would say after about 75 people, you may wanna have an in-house person um, because sometimes you just need someone uh, quick, but then you may also wanna consider still having a, a backup role for an outside IT consultant to take care of certain aspects of your um, your, your business. Yeah, that that's a good number in my opinion. Um the the uh the 75 75 is a good number um you know it really depends on the type of your business you're in where where i my perspective is on that uh for most businesses 75 ish is a good number 75 employees we're talking about um some businesses the number might be a little lower all the challenges still exist, but I've seen companies where it made sense for them to bring somebody in around like 30 employees, maybe, maybe 40, 50. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the, the business has to understand there's a lot of things that come, come with that. And I agree with everything that you laid out. Plus one thing that I talk about with CEOs all the time, around this kind of stuff is when they're considering, you know, whether or not they should hire a company like ours or start doing it in house is you really need to decide who you're hiring before you make that decision. Are you hiring like a CIO or IT director, somebody to be your right hand person when you're making decisions for your business and maybe you need that expertise around the technology piece that you don't have and you feel like your company would be better run if you had somebody kind of at the top helping you make those decisions where i see a lot of businesses try to get this done and do it and, and where most businesses make the mistake is they try to hire that the cheap low-level guy who you know they just look at it as something that they have in front of them that breaks sometimes and they just need somebody to come into their office and you know reboot the computer or, or fix whatever's broken so typically they'll hire what we term in our industry a level one or level two type technician uh to do those types of tasks you know i've seen companies try to hire those people and make them it directors which is absolutely the wrong way to go about it um, but what I, when, when companies are kind of looking at it from that perspective where I'm going to hire somebody to kind of just fix the day-to-day -day issues, um, 
the problem is, is that in the IT business, there's there's, there's a couple issues that kind of converge all at once when you hire somebody at this level. The first is, is that they're not very experienced. So they're going to be learning on your dime. So you're going to be paying for them to get the experience that somebody, you know, who's been in the business for five plus years already has. So, you, so that means that problems aren't going to be resolved as quickly and as efficiently as maybe you would like them. Um, plus you've got to understand that you're going to be paying for that. So, uh, you know, there's a difference between hiring a guy with no or one year experience versus five years experience. The second thing is, is that the first three years of an IT technician's salary is very low, right? But it increases ex exponentially very quickly after three years. So if you're a business owner who budgets, let's say 40 to 50,000 for this resource, after three years, they're going to be asking for somewhere above $60,000 because they can easily go find a job with three years experience that is paying them, you know, 60 plus thousand plus benefits. So you have to then make the decision, am I going to continue to increase this person's salary at the rate that a salary increases for this for this role? Or am I going to let that person go and then be in this cycle of hiring a low level, level one, level two technician every two to three years in my business? And when, you know, I've helped a lot of CEOs out by giving them just that perspective. Because it's not that is not something somebody would think about or know about unless they've had experience doing something like that. So somebody who was on the fence about hiring internally versus going to an outsourced company, when you kind of paint the picture of, okay, here's what this looks like long term for you. Are you prepared for this? Then the outsourced company looks a lot more attractive. The other thing that I always paint the picture of for CEOs is you know, say you're a law firm, right? And you've just hired this technician to work in a business that has nothing to do with technology. They're a, they're a, they're a law firm, right? So he's not going to be working with people that he, he or she relates to, you know, very well. Um, they, you know, most techs I know want to be around other techs. They want to talk tech. So who are they going to talk to? Who are they going to have water cooler conversations <laughs> This is when your organization becomes a less attractive option than the technician looking at an outsourced IT company to go work at where he's surrounded by all these people who are like him, think like him, talk like him, and are interested in a lot of the same things that he's interested in. And that's kind of like the, the hidden uh, uh, consequence that a lot of business owners miss when they think about hiring these types of roles. Um, so those are the things that you have going against you as a business owner, if you're considering hiring somebody in-house versus hiring somebody, you know, outside of your company to handle this stuff for you. So, you know, that's, those are the two ways, right? So we have two ways we can, we can out, outsource it to an outside company, or we can bring it, bring in our own employees and begin to build our team. Or quite frankly, we can do both, right? We can 
bring in somebody to be our employee and run our run our IT for us, but also get the expertise and then maybe the specialization um, that you were talking about that we don't have with this one resource and we bring in an outside company to kind of help us with that. And we're seeing a lot more of that these days, especially with bigger businesses, right? Um, Co-managed IT, I think has become the term. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're a business owner and you're watching or listening to this, co-managed IT is, is when you have your own resources for some components of the technology in your business, but then you also outsource pieces of it. Like outsourcing your cybersecurity to a firm is very common these days because a lot of technical people, IT people, the guy who built your network, the guy who runs your servers, they don't have the time or resources to go learn cybersecurity now. And there's this whole you know, industry now built around cybersecurity that you can tap into where these companies have already you know, built the systems and processes that they can easily plug into your business and, and make you infinitely more secure a lot quicker than if you tried to handle this with your internal team, um, especially if your internal team is already stressed out and, and, and maxed out. Asking them to then secure your, your business is, is a, really, a really bad idea. Um, so let's jump into our questions uh, that we've identified as the top questions that you should be asking um, anyone before you hire them. And what I'll do is I'll throw out the questions and then you can give us kind of your perspective on the question, Andre. Sure. I'll throw in some of my comments. Uh, what I'll try to do is I'll try to preface the question with, this is more of a question for somebody who's looking to hire their own internal staff versus uh, an outside company. Um, because I think there's a difference, right? There's a difference between the questions you need to ask an individual um, who's going to be working in your company every day versus a, an outside company um, and how you're going to approach it. So, so pay attention and, and here we go. So this first question that we identified uh, will be more for, I wouldn't ask an IT company this, but it's not out of the question to ask an IT company this, especially if they're a smaller IT company and I'm talking about if you're thinking about hiring somebody who's like maybe one to five uh, employees or or solo MSPs or IT guys as we know them, um, and or or this would be a question you would ask somebody who um, who you're thinking about hiring. And that first question is is how well do you work with others? So I'm going to throw that one out to you. I have my opinion on why you would ask this question. Let's. Why would you ask this question? And what, what would what do you want to hear? Or what do you want to find out when you ask a IT person how well do you work with others? Yeah. So IT guys have had a um, bad stigma where they're the guys in the closet. They're grumbling to themselves. They're you know they don't talk to anybody. And especially for your your business, as as you when you're talking on the in your in your conference room and you're talking technology to the person that's advising you in IT, you you need to be able to to conversate. You, you just don't want someone to just talk tech to you. You want someone to understand the business, be able to um, uh, let you know your options, and as well as um, it's, I think it's really important for an IT guy 
what's the word I'm looking for? Um, ah, I can't, rem I can't remember the word, but go ahead, Brian. There's a word. Yeah. I, I don't know what word you're going after, but I'll help you if you can explain it to me. But um, what comes to mind for me is, is like a lot of times when, when IT guys can deliver support um, to an end user or interact with an end user, a lot of times we, we have a unique way, and I'll just group it and say we, I'm not saying I have this problem, but we have a unique way of making people feel stupid. And that's really what you want to find out is if your person you're about to hire is going to kind of belittle or, or make your or, or talk in a condescending manner to your employees or the people that, that that's exactly it. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing in my mind that, that, that you run into in, in this world is, is that is, Obviously, you want all your employees to work well with one another. But the biggest thing that I can say that, you know, most people are going to have a complaint about an IT person is going to be around that they just make me feel stupid or they're condescending. Um, and it, it is a unique gift that if somebody can provide support to an, an organization, and not make people feel stupid or, or deliver it in a condescending manner. I would have to say that there's, it's probably 50-50. You know what I mean? Like half the people out there get it and can do it. And half the people are just really good at fixing problems and should never, ever talk to the end user. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's another one. So um, moving right along, second question we're going to hit up today. And this is more for... Uh, a company, and I and I wanted to pick this question because I wanted to get your take on how important you think this really is, and if you do think it is important, why it's important, right? Sure. And the question you would ask the provider is, do they answer their phones live, or do you always have to leave a voicemail and wait for someone to call you back? Yeah, so I've actually, in my business, I've actually considered that. I've actually just considered, you know what, if you have a, a situation, just send an email to support. We have a queue system. We, we have a, uh, if it's an emergency, you know, there's a set amount of hours. Because many times people actually call our office. It's not, you know, their printer, printer one is not working, but printer two is working. So they call the office. Hey, my printer one is not working. Okay, are you able to print somewhere else? Yeah, I can just print here for the meantime. Okay, someone will call you. But what was the point of that conversation? Couldn't you just have sent an email to support? So, um, but then again, if it's an emergency, the last thing you want to do is get a voicemail. So I think that's important when you are um, interviewing with, um, with the provider, because you may be in a business where, you know, obviously time is always money, but it's in certain industries, it really is crunch time that when you have an IT issue, you're you're starting to go red on 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 an employee or whatever the case is. Maybe you're doing presentations all day or whatever the case is. So I think that's very important to ask them. Um, and also, some some IT companies will actually when the person whoever answers the phone, they're helping you. There's no transferring. They're 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 going to get the information. They'll create the ticket, but at the same time, they're going to help you. Kind of like if you call AT and T or something. Uh, you know, for your mobile service or something, when you get someone, that person is helping you. Where some other IT companies, they have a reception, 
And then based on the status of the ticket uh, of the support request, then they may transfer you or they'll just say, thank you, we'll call you back. So I think that's very important to, um, to ask and, and to know based on your type of business. Yeah, and it's it's really, you know, if you're listening to this, you have to decide whether that's important to you, right? And and if you are okay with, you know, putting in a request for help um, and somebody <clears throat> basically triaging that and waiting for a period of time for somebody to actually call you back or get back to you on the issue versus... You know, I know some business owners who are very are perfectly okay with that. And then I know other business owners who, when they have a problem, they want to be able to pick up the phone and they want to be able to call somebody and get a hold of somebody that knows their system mm -hmm. um, and have that person work on their system and have it resolved. So a couple things there. If you're that guy who really needs to talk to somebody who you are comfortable with and you're familiar with when you're evaluating a company you need to make sure that they have a process around delivering support where you're going to be talking to a single point of contact and not be thrown into a pool of technicians where you might you know one of 20 people could be answering your call if that's going to be an issue for you and you're not comfortable with that then you should ask these questions ahead of time and if the company says like, yeah, when you call initially, you're going to get, you could get any one of our, you know, 50, 100, whatever technicians. If you're okay with that, that's fine. But if you're not okay with that, that's probably not a fit for you. And you need to go find a company where maybe they have a single point of contact or an account manager that you deal with for all issues. And then, you know, that's the type of support that you are you would like and then there's businesses and it companies that are that are set up that way as well they will give you an account manager you call that one person and then that person decides you know who on the team is going to support you um, i don't think there's really very many companies where you can call one person and get that one person to do your support unless you're dealing with a very very small it company like one one or two like person MSP. You think I'm off on that statement? No, very true. And and one one compromise too that we've done with some of our clients is that if it's the the CEO or this like basically they give us three names and they said, look, if these guys ever call you, make the exception, put them next in line. Don't you know put don't just tell them you're gonna call us back. Put them on hold you know, internally see who can help. And that has been a compromise that we, we've done with um, with those clients. And funny enough, those three people that call, whenever they do call, it's for something serious. I mean, not to say not, some of them aren't serious, but it's like it's like a real situation. So um, so that, that could be something to consider too. Go, so moving on to the next one. Um, question that you should ask uh, I believe, you know, this could go both ways. Um, I, I guess you, you might want to, if you're hiring an individual for your company as an employee, you might want to dive into maybe more of the specifics of how they would do this. Um, but this is really a question you want to ask an outside IT company if you're consider, considering hiring them. And that's, 
do they consistently and proactively offer new ways to improve your network's performance or do they wait until you have a problem to make a recommendation and what um what you're trying to figure out here is whether or not they're they have a proactive mindset and systems in place to do this for you because you can't just do this right you can't just say you're proactive and you're proactive like that's not how it works you're not proactive because you say it you're proactive because you have the ability to use your systems and your tools to kind of look forward and give a business you know a roadmap and advice on where they're going to go with their it versus what we see a lot of in our business and you'll hear a lot of msps and it companies say they're proactive but at the end of the day they don't really address and and fix problems or even bring a problem to your attention until it's actually a problem that manifests itself that smacks you in the face right and if if that sounds like your IT guy then you're probably you actually probably have an IT person who's reactive and doesn't have the tools or resources or expertise to be more proactive so you know that's why in my mind you're asking that question what's your take on this you know that's been the involvement of IT it started off as break fix where when something broke you fixed it right. then after that what was happening is the bill started to become too high for the client so then it was okay i'll just do this as a flat fee and then from there things weren't breaking as much and then customers were like well what am i paying you for i never call you and then it guys said oh well we're going to start being proactive you know so you'll pay us a flat fee when it breaks we'll fix it and we'll be proactive and i think that's a, a super because that I, that actually separates the boys from the men in, in a sense from that i think because it's it's and even asking you know okay how are you being proactive because like you said brian people are going to say i'm going to be proactive but what are you doing like in our business we do quarterly business and obviously with yours as well we do quarterly business reviews and we're we have a, a long list of things that you know what we're going to do this for quarter one we're going to do this for quarter two quarter three you have these computers they're approaching five six years that's budget for that you know, like there's always conversations we're having with our clients. And then, of course, the most important question is asking the client, how are you growing? You know, what's your, your 2022 goals? Okay, you're going to be having X amount of more employees. Okay, let's set up in the background now a system so that when you do become, you know, the size you said you're going to be, we'll be ready to handle that. Exactly. 100% right. You have to you have as a business owner when you're looking for these types of services you need to hear things like we meet with you you know at least you know quarterly maybe monthly um and you know two things i would listen for are you know regular meetings and roadmaps right if you're hearing those things and they have the expertise the technology and the resources to do proactive it for you but if they don't talk this way and they're not using this type of language then they're usually they either don't know how to do it or they really don't have a good sound system in place to support what your business needs now that being said as a business owner you can go either way you can go 
you can go the, the managed service proactive route or you can live in the break fix world, right? You can hire somebody to just take care of things when when things break, but understand that you're probably going to be hacked one day living in that world. You, you, you are not protecting yourself. You're not having someone be forward thinking and, and look at your security posture and things like that when you live in a break fix world and you have a break fix relationship with an IT person. So I just wanted to point that out that you don't necessarily have to go this direction that we're suggesting, but if you're gonna go this direction and you're gonna hire somebody to do your IT um, on, a, on a regular basis, then you're gonna need to ask these questions. Um, so moving on, and um, I think this is an important one, and it goes to what we just talked about. Um, and I'll, I can talk about the why behind this from a couple different perspectives, but I'll ask you the question and get your perspective, and then I'll, I'll kind of follow on to what you have to say. But do they provide you with a weekly report that shows you all the updates, security patches, and status of every machine on your network so you know for sure your systems have been secured and updated. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's super important because that just goes back to what are you doing for me when I'm not calling you? What is it that you're doing for me? If, even if the if the provider says yes, we're going to do quarterly calls. Does that mean a couple of days before the quarterly call they're just you know pulling up the reports and taking a look at everything, or does it mean that they have someone dedicated? that, you know, obviously it may be many accounts, but, you know, a few hours out of the week, someone is actually making sure that um, they're checking logs or checking, you know, reports and things like that. And then, of course, sending it out to the client to let them know that everything is a-okay. Now, I've personally seen, Brian, that many of the clients don't actually read the reports, even if you try to make it as less technical as possible, but at least they, the fact that it's in their inbox the fact that they know, okay, this my provider is taking care of me. They're remembering me. They're on top of things, and then for compliance as well, that may be needed for uh, depending on the industry. Yeah, exactly. And then, as a business owner, you may see value in this, or you may sit there and say, "Well, I don't care about reports, and I don't really want to look at those reports. I don't care, and this isn't a big deal to me." Um, but what I can tell you is that, unfortunately, if you have like cyber insurance or you work in a regulated industry or you have large clients that make you sign big, long contracts that state you must have a cybersecurity program in place, all of these cybersecurity programs are going to a place where they know most SMBs have these relationships with these IT companies or an IT person that doesn't work for their business. Uh, and even if you're in a situation where you have an employee who's doing this for you, you still have to do this stuff. And what I'm talking about is you have to, as the CEO, you have to show evidence that somebody is doing this and providing you with the reports. If you want to, like if you're going for a SOC certification, part of the SOC, uh, uh, the controls within SOC are, do you have regular meetings with your MSP? Do you, um, 
do you receive weekly health reports, right? And A, the SOC dictates to you that you should have this policy on, in place. And then when you create the policy, you have to have the supporting evidence that you're doing it, which means that if you say, yes, we meet with our uh, IT person or our managed service provider monthly, and they give us all the evidence that the backups are being done, then that means you have a, a uh, evidence vault or an evidence locker that has all these reports in it. So if you're ever audited or you ever have an incident, you then turn to this evidence locker and say, here's all the evidence that we've been protecting our systems and backing up our systems. And, and a lot of companies aren't doing this. A lot of companies mm -hmm. don't even know what an evidence locker is and what purpose it serves. Um, and that's, that's the big thing here that you got to make sure it's not just an ego thing, or I gotta, I gotta make sure that my, my IT guy is doing what I'm paying them to do. You got to have this stuff. If you want to pass audits, if you want to, if you want to win a lawsuit, if you're ever sued for something, this is where you're going to turn to get the stuff that you need to prove that you were doing things you know, above board or by, by the, the way you should have. If you don't produce these things, and even if you were doing it, it doesn't matter. You don't have the evidence to support, you know, the policies that either your cyber insurance says you need to have and you signed off on and said you do have your client contracts that said you need to file a cybersecurity framework and you, now you said you followed it, but now there's proof that you don't because you don't have this evidence or in a regulated industry, it's, it's all the same. You have to do this stuff. So making sure that you have somebody who's communicating with you and giving you all the information that you need to have so you remain compliant with all this stuff is, is very critically important. And we're moving every business and every industry is moving more and more in this direction every single day. So um, it's not an ego thing. It's not a thing where it's like, I'm, I don't need to get that because I don't need to check that. Yeah, you probably do if you go back and read your contracts or read your cyber insurance. So you do need to do this stuff. So I'm going to move on here and we're going to talk about a question that you should ask around your backups, right? Because mm -hmm. you're usually entrusting your IT person or your IT company to manage and set up and maintain and manage your backups, right? And you know, I think most business owners look at their backup as the thing, the main thing that's going to get them out of hot water, you know, if they have a cyber attack or if they have a complete, you know, infrastructure disaster. Um, and they are that important, right? If you don't have those, you really can't rebuild what you had. Um, so question you should ask around that that I think is really important is um, do they insist on monitoring an offsite as well as an on-site backup or are they letting you rely on outdated backup procedures so why would you ask that question um well first of all if the customer is telling you how they're going to do it but then they're looking to you as the expert then there's there's a problem with that so so um 
also for that. That's what it is. Do they insist? Right. Okay. Do, the question should be, like, uh, the question you should be asking yourself is, is who are you're looking at to hire? Do they insist on monitoring off site, or will they just do whatever you want? Like you just said, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to point out with this question is like they should be coming to you with the solution, like you were. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. Yeah, there was even, um, I don't know if you remember that post one time, Brian, where somebody, um, they did a test on the IT company by basically saying, we're going to do a backup and not encrypt the drive. And it was a, it was a very big, it was a very big opportunity for this IT provider. And he insisted, no, you have to do the encryption on the drive for the backup. And that was actually a test question for this attorney's office to know how serious was this cybersecurity, uh, this company's claiming their cybersecurity was going to be. Would they just let the customer dictate it? Or or are they going to stand by what they preach and, and say, nope, if you don't have it this way, we're not going to do it. So also, um, I think backup has had a notion of um, probably from the Carbonite days where it set it and forget it. And then when you need the backup, oh, you see this. We see this all the time on the news where they get ransomware and then they realize that the backups, nobody was checking the backups for the last six months or something, you know, or, you know, the drive was put off or someone didn't pay their online cloud backup account. So it's it's super important. Or the password to the Garbonite yeah. and deleted the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> right. it's super important for that. And then also um, I would even go to the part of not only the backup, but the recovery. So one of the things that we're doing this quarter for our clients is that we're actually doing tests like, okay, if you did get a cyber attack and you did get a ransomware, how fast will it be to get your systems back up? If you have virtual servers, how fast will it be to get it back up? Maybe the customer is expecting it uh, right away in, in 24 hours, but the reality is three days. And, and do you have a procedure to put all of these things in? Do you have the licenses? Do you have, you know, the 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 Windows Server download um, operating system, right? Do you have all of these things? So, I think that's that's very important that your providers should be doing that um, at minimum quarterly. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know Do you know the minimum amount of time that a business is down for ransomware? What the average minimum minimum number of days is for a business to be down from after a ransomware attack? No, I don't. Nine business days. Wow. Wow. So it's about it's 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 a minimum like the minimum is two weeks. So wow. I, I remember what the average is, but the minimum time when they look across the board is is about nine days is is the low end. So you're you know you get hit with ransomware, your business is not going to have its systems anywhere near functional for at least nine days, and that's. That's based off uh, some data that I got from some insurance companies. So I'm going to assume this is like companies that had cyber insurance claims involved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, if you don't have cyber insurance, you can go as fast as you want. But, you know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way if you get it up too quick and don't consider all the, all the things that you need to consider. Yeah. Uh, so. Two more questions, I think, uh, for this one. And then if we want to do another one of these down the road, we can, because I have a lot more questions that I could, you know, give to people and we'll see what kind of feedback we get uh, on this. Um, but one of the questions I thought was interesting is, um, why would you ask this, Andre? Is there a help desk based 
US-based or outsourced to an overseas company or third party? <laughs> well, we all know from the 90s when you ever called Dell for support and, and how um, difficult so it can be know, sometimes. I don't think, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that that's when it becomes personal. That's when like, I mean, who has your data? Who has access to your data? You know, can you touch and feel this person? I think that's super, super important. Um, not to say, you know, um, there's big companies that do international, you know, there's companies that do that. But I think for your business, that is very important that you know that the people working on your machines are here based in the U.S. Um, background checks. They don't have any you know, um, uh, nefarious actions where maybe, you know, they slip somebody, somebody slips them a few hundred dollars and they can copy and paste the data because, you know, we do have access to the systems. So I think it's very important that you know that. And of course, most importantly, if you're regulated, uh, if you're doing government contracts, if you, you know, if you have things with that, that may be patented or private information, HIPAA, you know, there's all of that, that you want to be sure that the data stays here in the U.S. And, um, a lot of times, too, IT companies will try to cheapen out by 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 doing that. You know, they're cutting corners. Um, so I think it is important to to ask them um, because the last thing you want is to be frustrated trying to communicate with somebody that is not local to you and you have um, language barriers or just um, just culture barriers. Yeah, and. You know, this goes to any 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 business owner that may be considering hiring an outside IT company. Obviously, um, if you have your own internal resource, you may that person may suggest, especially if you're hiring on the on the upper end, like that that CIO or the IT director, they may recommend like an outsourced IT help desk um, to augment you know the staff or or to be the primary kind of line of support for the company um but we also you know we see a lot of msps who outsource their kind of level one or level two help desk to an outside company uh, and the important thing here that i don't think you mentioned you did mention about you know hipaa and compliance um but it sounded to me like you were talking more purely from a kind of like a customer interaction, you know, language barrier, community mm -hmm. style standpoint. Um, but from a compliance and regulatory standpoint, um, a lot of IT companies too will outsource a piece of the support that I call like under the iceberg, like under the water, under the surface level type stuff where you're not necessarily dealing with this person on the phone, you might not even know that they're accessing your system and doing things, doing like maintenance things. And these aren't, I'm not talking about the technicians you call when you have a problem. They may outsource something what's known as a knock, a network operations center. And those guys just basically remote into your systems and make sure everything's running well. They do the maintenance part, which it's good that you have a company that's doing that because I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of MSPs who say they're doing that kind of stuff and they don't do it. Um, but the, my point is, is that if you are in a regulated industry, uh, financial services comes to mind, HIPAA comes to mind, and so does DOD, CMMC, NIST 800-171 comes to mind, especially if you deal with ITARs uh, or anything like that as well. You 
cannot have somebody outside the United States remote into your network uh, and access your data. Uh, and this goes for, you know, in the, in the, in the DOD space, this goes for classified and unclassified material. So you, you got to make sure that you know all the different components that go into the services you're buying from an outsourced IT company um, and make sure that you are aware that there could be individuals that access your network um, outside of the people who access your network when you have a problem. Right. So, you know, the question to ask a little bit deeper here would be, OK, when you do maintenance on our network and you have people like check event logs or go in and make sure, you know, everything's running the way it should. Who does that and where are they? You know, or do you outsource that to another company? Are, are they your own employees who do it, you know, based out of your office in the United States? Or do you have a third party company doing it? And if the third party company is doing it, where are their people located? Um, you know, because at the end of the day, the CEO is the one responsible for what's going on in his business. He can't just blame his managed service provider and say, well, I didn't know that they were doing that. Um, you know, that's not gonna, that's not going to hold up well in court, especially if you're trying to defend a breach or something like that. So uh, that's why that's important from a couple different aspects. And then the last question I think I want to cover today is um huh, this is this is the one i wanted to hit on do their technicians maintain current vendor certifications and participate in ongoing training or are they learning on your dime and this is <laughs> a question you could quite frankly ask somebody that you're hiring to look to be your own employee but it's definitely a question that you need to ask, you know, a company if you're thinking about hiring a company. So, what's your perspective on on why you would want to ask that question, Andre? Um, basically, stagnant. You know, um, are are your employees staying at the same? Are the the potential providers' employees at the same level when they started? And I think that's it's super important that you are speaking with an IT company that um, has their technicians constantly updating their certifications, constantly learning, because how are you as a business owner and your business gonna grow if the person you're speaking to, you know, last time they opened up a book about, you know, IT or Microsoft or Amazon, whatever the case is, you know, five, 10 years ago. So um, do you want them recommending things that they know from when they went to school or do you want them to have gone to a conference learned about a product and now, you know, kind of like a, a kid at a candy store. And now they're telling you all these cool things that they can do for you and want to implement for you. So I think that's, it's super important that, um, that the knowledge that the provider has and their technicians is, is, you know, that's, that's a serious benchmark that you should put them on. Yeah. I mean, you definitely want continual improvement to be part of the culture either within your company's own IT department or with the company that you hire. Um, but you also, and I know we've talked about this before, you know, especially when you're talking about hiring uh, an outside company, um, hiring an employee is easier because you can say, hey, we require X certification in order for you to even apply for this job. You know, so if they don't have that certification, 
you don't even, you know, call them back for an interview. Um, but the MSP industry has still yet to be regulated, even though at some point last year, you know, I, I think people, some people were probably um, jumping the gun a little bit with some nervousness that they had around regulation that they, they saw coming because I think the, uh, the state attorney general of, I think it was Louisiana was making a big stink about MSPs and, you know, they, they need to be looked at and, and regulated a little bit more, which I'm not in disagreement with, but at the end of the day, we're, we are still in a world where anybody at any point in time can hang a shingle up on the side of a building and say, I'm a managed service provider or I'm a security provider or I'm a cybersecurity company. Mm -hmm. There's nobody out there who's who's vetting and blessing these companies. I mean, there are some ways that you can get certifications like my company has the Security Plus Trust Mark from CompTIA because we've been vetted by them and, and audited and, and third party audited to prove that we adhere to a cybersecurity program in our business and all of our clients' businesses. Um, but not a lot of companies go through that, right? Um, and, you know, we are only one of 32 companies in the world who have this certification. Wow. So that means there's hundreds of thousands of other MSPs running around out there who don't have this certification or a similar certification. Cause quite frankly, I don't know of a similar certification. There might be, but it's not from a trusted entity like CompTIA, right? So you could be hiring anybody to take care of your security at this point. You have no independent third party way like you do with a CPA like you do with a lawyer through a bar association, like you do through with a doctor through a medical board, like you do with a plumber, like you do with an electrician, like you do with a nurse, like you do with somebody. I think you even have to be regulated or licensed to shoot Botox in somebody's face. Right? Am I right mm -hmm. or wrong? Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. You don't need to do anything in this business, but basically convince somebody that you're charming enough to do their IT. True or false? True. Mm -hmm. True. So understanding that you really need to be asking these questions around certifications and who's, who's, you know, looking after my stuff is a legit question and something you should absolutely be asking anybody that you're considering what touch your network and be, you know, even a tiny, tiny bit responsible for your cybersecurity of your business. Um, if the company doesn't have their own company certification that proves that they follow a, a cybersecurity framework, uh, then you can basically ask, you know, what types of certifications do the people in your company possess? And they should be able to easily provide you with a list um, of, you know, like with CompTIA, you can go on and you can print out your technician's profile that lists all the certifications that they have. And you can provide that to, you know, your prospect. So, you know, there are ways that you can ask questions like we just asked to get this information. And I guess for me, a red flag would be when they say we just have like all this experience, mm -hmm. uh, all this, you know, all, the, you know, if they've been in business for a while and they can bring, um, you know, I guess testimonials or, or, or verified client case studies to you, I guess that's a little better than nothing. 
but right. I wouldn't make a decision without at least that. Um, if somebody hasn't been in business very long and they don't have these credentials, um, you're pretty much, you know, playing craps in my opinion, you know, with, with what you're going to get. And, you know, if you're making the decision based on because you like their price and they're a lot cheaper than everybody else, there's probably a reason for that. Right. So what's a red flag that you see with something like that when it comes to, you know, credentials, like what's one thing a business owner could potentially see as a red flag when they're asking an IT provider a question like who, who, you know, what certifications do you have? Well, it's actually interesting because we have two comments and one of the comments is degrees versus degrees versus certification. Hmm. So see, because sometimes you can have um, someone with a bachelor's degree in information technology but then they didn't do the cert. They didn't go the certification route. They have a, a bachelor's or a master's, right? So, so that's that's actually an interesting point there. Um, but can I throw a comment on that? On yeah, that? go ahead. I have strong opinions on that. Actually, um, certifications are great for tech, the technical people who are actually the wrench turners who are fixing the problems and doing the work. Typically, what I found is that. If you have a college degree and you have more of that foundational kind of high level training, you're going to be that person's going to be better suited to sit down with business owners and, and talk about strategy and business. And they're not going to be not necessarily suited to be the guys who fix your problems. And I think that's important to point out that there's a very distinct different difference and a different skill set between really good IT guys and really good IT managers and people who can translate IT into business and talk strategy with, with business owners and, and decision makers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of taking their best technician and putting them in those roles. And I will almost guarantee you that above 90% of the time that that really good technician is not suited for that role to be that manager. So I just wanted to say that because I, I see that mistake happen like all the time in business all over the place in our industry and other industries. So continue on. And the uh, second comment somebody else asked was, uh, what about background checks? Is it okay to ask the provider if they're doing background checks and drug tests on their employees? Yeah, I mean, if you're hiring an employee, you you better. No, no, I'm talking about the provider. Yeah, the provider. Yeah, the provider should be doing their own background checks, okay. and they should be providing some kind of uh, statement. And maybe as as the business owner to protect yourself, if you are entering an agreement with an MSP, ask them to put some kind of language in the contract that states that you know you will only be putting certified people and background check people to work on my business and or my network if that's important to you. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I mean, great talk, man. I mean, we yeah. went almost an hour, we covered like five or six questions. I have a ton more, so we could probably do part two of this, you know, yeah. in a month or maybe next week. I don't know. We got some good comments today. Uh, it looks like on the live stream, I don't see those. So they must not have given a, uh, Streamyard permission, or they were on your 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 profile and not mine. 
And um, I think another topic we can not necessarily next week, but we can also talk about what to do before you fire your IT provider. Uh -huh. Yeah, I guess you gotta yeah. hire them first, though, right? Before you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting topic there. I don't have too much experience with that, to be honest with you. So. No. Um, well, you've 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 never taken over a another provider, and then you know didn't get a password. Yeah, I, can give, or, you, I yeah. can give you from that perspective. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. From the perspective of being fired. Um, yeah, yeah. Too much, anyway. You know. We're, right. <laughs> We don't make it a habit of getting fired by our clients. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's a good thing. So, yeah. So, yeah, we'll do lots of cool topics like this. Uh, let us know on our YouTube channel. We're at the Security Squawk over on YouTube. We also have a Facebook page, Security Squawk. Find this video and watch it live. We will post this on all the major podcast uh, networks uh, as an audio recording. Uh, that you can catch over there and maybe you like to listen to us in the car or, you know, while you're skiing or snowboarding or doing all that cool stuff that everybody likes to do that I don't get to do much of anymore. Um, but yeah, listen, listen to us on the podcast, catch us there. But any comments or questions, take them over to either Facebook, preferably, I guess, and then YouTube as well. Um, you can ask a question over there. You can drop us you know, a topic that you want to hear us talk about. Um, you know, we're, we're open to anything at this point. We're open to going in a lot of different directions with this podcast. So, um, you know, the other thing too is if we've helped you out, if we've given you insight and, and we've uh, entertained you in any way, educated you, share that podcast out for us to your friends and family. Just hit share right to your social media channels and, uh, you know, jump in here and ask us questions and, and, we will definitely answer them for you. So I want to thank everybody. Andre, do you want to say anything to our audience as we're getting out of here today? Brian, do you have a page where they can actually um, get those questions? What do you mean by that? Oh, like, yeah. Is that is that like a public place where you have those questions where someone can download it? Sure. Uh, I definitely have those. I just don't know where on my, okay. I do have them on my website. Um, but I don't know where they're at. Uh, okay. I don't know where it's at. I don't know what the URL is off the top of my head to read off here. Um, let me just try one URL real quick and see if I get lucky. No, I can drop it in the comments later, but I don't know if anybody will catch that, but, um, we'll update everybody, um, on the next podcast. If we do have that resource available, we'll, we'll throw out that URL. Um, and you can download uh, uh, the free report that we have on our website, which is actually 21 questions, uh, mm. and uh, and we'll and we'll and we'll, you can get that resource from us. So, um, but yeah, thanks everybody, and uh, we'll see y'all soon. Take care. All right, bye.